Welcome to Prattle World. I am your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider Dan. And in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. Welcome. I know it's been a bit of a wait, but finally, this is it. I'm finally doing my very own podcast. It took a bit of preparation, a bit of time. I've also been busy doing other stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really excited, really happy about this. I think we're going to have a lot of fun and hopefully we'll all learn something as well. Alright, so uh, without further ado, I'd like to start off with my very first segment on my very first show called Secret Bore Journal. Dear Secret Bore Journal. So yeah, I've not been doing that much really in regards to my geeky nerdy side of my life well i mean you can consider it geeky or nerdy it's basically i've been doing i've been doing a play called whittingham and basically it's a real life story of um people in a mental health asylum in preston uh, around the turn, around the kind of first world war and i play a mentally ill actor so not actually much acting going on there pretty much already what I am <laughs> so so yeah uh, it was fun it was great to work with some some young students from my from my old uni that I'd never worked with before or spent time with so we all got on really well um I, I was the oldest one there pretty much I think um possibly but uh it, it was nice it was a nice it was a nice feeling I got directed by my old tutor uh, and we just we just had a ball again it was it was hard work and it was quite, quite a serious piece uh, but I tended to bring in the comedy, and I think that's why they had me. Uh, I based my character could only speak in Shakespearean verse, so there's lots of these and thous, and you know, just say things at random times that had nothing to do with anything else. So it kind of brought a bit of levity to it. But obviously, there's sensitivity of playing a role like that, and a bit of research that goes into it because obviously uh, the real people and they have real issues. Um, you know, but it was a really good subject, and it shows. Um, you know, it's hundred years since the First World War, and it really showed the how far we've come in regards to mental health and stigmas, um, and how far we haven't, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, there's some very weird practices and things they thought works. Um, some weird stuff like measuring. They would just measure everything for some reason. Um, that seemed to be the main source of finding out if people were mentally ill or if they had some deficiencies and um, we looked through the archives uh, at Preston to kind of look at the history of the characters we saw photos and various other things as well um, and it was really sad that you know a lot of a lot of the girls and the women that were in there were in there for you know being a teenager you know being a stroppy teenager or you know there was even somebody in there for eccentricity so I definitely would have been in a mental asylum clearly um but yeah it was it was really fun and it kind of got my theater nerd geek side um 
active again, um, which is isn't doesn't ha, ha, doesn't ha, 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 doesn't happen as often uh, as I as I would like. Um, again, in regards to money and funds, but I got to spend some time with my family as well, and my little nephew Cohen, um, who is a wonderful, wonderful human being. And uh, so yeah, it was it was really fun. So um so yeah, but um in the next week or so, I'll be doing some more. Getting back to normal, kind of doing stuff that I'm kind of a bit more into uh, in regards to kind of movies and TV, comics and stuff, which is what this podcast is all about. So uh, I'll, I think that's the end of that section. Yeah, I think we'll call it a day there. Um, so let's move on to the next section, which is Secret Boar Stories. Secret Boar Stories. Okay, so... um. Basically, Secret Ball Stories is basically a top five um, story. So it could be films, books, you name it. So I'd basically just pick a, a top five uh, and list them. Uh, and no no real order to these, just basically five decent things. Um, I, I'm on Twitter, believe it or not. Um, and a couple of uh, couple of people who followed me, I think it's the uh, at the good, bad, uh, and the spidey, I believe, uh, is the... Is the handle for that person and uh, and at the at Spidey Reader. I'm going to say, uh, I think that's correct. Um, and they basically reminded me that one of my favourite um, iterations of Spider-Man uh, was actually ten years old, and that's the. A lot of people probably didn't hear about this uh, cartoon show when it came out, um, but it is the spectacular Spider-Man uh, starring Josh Keaton, Clancy Brown, John DiMaggio. Uh, the list goes on, um, and it's just possibly the the closest iteration to the original Stanley Steve Ditko uh, comic books uh, back in the 60s and also it's really close to the ultimate Spider-Man uh, comic book run which is basically a more modern retelling of the of the story with some changes um so yeah it's it basically marries those two things together and you know pulls from all the different kind of Spider-Man lore that there has been throughout history uh, throughout his, what are we talking about, 60, 60 years, 70, 50 years, yeah, like 50 years um, or so that's gone on, and it's just phenomenal. The animation style took a while to get used to. They have these really weird, kind of large eyes, um, but the, the action's great, the the romance, the, you know, the day-to-day troubles and struggles Spider-Man has, um, also, you know, just fighting villains, mostly, and, you know, what he does, but they, they kind of mix it all together, and they do a lot of original stuff, it's not just all, you know, rehashes of, like, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon or something like that, uh, you know, it'll defeat these villains in very different ways from what you've seen, um, but yeah, but there's still a familiarity and, and, and a fun, um, I highly recommend if you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming or any of the MCU films with Spider-Man, um, I think this is a really good show to kind of jump in, because it's very much on that same sort of tone, a similar tone, to the to the films um, with Tom Holland, so I highly recommend it. So I'll, let's start with the first episode. I know uh, I know I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, be aware of the time. I don't want to go over too long. So the first episode is called Natural Selection. Now all the episodes are actually um, subjects you would learn in in high school, uh, which I think is quite clever as well. And both two seasons follow a full year. Um, Unfortunately, it was only two. I really would have liked a third one, but they cancelled it in. They cancelled it for a different show, which I didn't care for. Um, particularly, I did watch it, but it was not as good. Unfortunately, 
Um, so yeah, natural selection. So this uh, this episode features Kurt Connors, who you may be familiar with from the Amazing Spider-Man film. And yes, he's he's been uh, experimenting on himself with an experimental lizard formula, and this grows back his his missing arm. Um, I don't th- I don't even think we learn how he loses his arm, um, but um, I guess it doesn't really matter, does it? But he basically grows it back. Unfortunately, there are side effects, and he is starting to become a giant reptile, um, which they, Stanley would just call the lizard, which is a good enough name. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so yeah, it's quite quite violent as well, and and a little dark this this episode. Um, the lizard actually, you know, goes to bite people's heads off. Um, you know, it's the way it's treated is very much like the fly, uh, the Jeff Goldblum film, uh, the David Cronenberg film. Uh, it's very much like a body horror, and you know the 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 lizard goes to bite off people's heads in this. You know, and Spidey just saves them at the last possible moment. It's genuinely, genuinely quite scary uh, as a kids' episode. You know, very much like the old animated Batman shows. They were all quite dark and serious. So this very very much in the same kind of tone, um, and it's really good because. I think the best Spider-Man stories are where 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 Peter and Spider-Man's lives collide, and and Peter basically has to make money for Aunt May at this moment in time, so he has to take photos, um, but he also has to go away and become Spider-Man, and everyone's working towards this lizard cure, and he goes to take photos, and he doesn't have a decent explanation, and at the end of the episode, he ends up being fired from his. Uh, his uh, intern job, or whatever they call it, kind of placement, if you will, at the Connors lab. Um, so yeah, it's quite, it's quite a good one. The kind of the, and even again at the at the end of the episode, he also has he, he, they basically create a gene cleanser, which is kind of the the cure to the lizard's uh, predicament or to Kurt Connors' predicament. And he he takes it home because it can strip anybody of superpower, non-human DNA. I think they say in the episode. Um, so he takes he takes it home and and considers taking it because it just because Spider Man's given him all these problems. You know, it's never it's never helped him in any way. Um, but obviously he remembers with great power comes great responsibility, as he always does. Um, but yeah, and I really like the interpretation of the lizard in this. Like the first episode of the '90s show, which really got me into Spider Man, was the lizard, um, and it was again it was that one was quite scary as well. It's like as a, you know, for a kid anyway, for a kid's show, and uh, but the only the only thing that I think is a little bit ridiculous is is when the lizard talks. It, it's always a little bit weird for me, you know. I can, but I, uh, I, I obviously you have to suspend your disbelief. There's you know green aliens and you know purple aliens, you know all all around the MCU and you know crazier things than a talking lizard. I'm sure, but I don't know. It always just struck me as a bit odd to see a giant talking lizard. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend that episode. That is at the end. They kind of do three episode arcs in the series. So that is kind of the, the end of, of the first arc. Um, but again, really good. Great introduction to the lizard and those characters as well. And uh, yeah, highly recommend it. Second episode is The Invisible Hand, which basically is the end of the arc, uh, the second arc in the first series. Now, as a character called the Big Man of Crime, this shadowy kind of crime boss, uh, kind of mob boss. And he's been creating various supervillains like the Sandman and and various other different in the Shocker, um, in the previous episodes to distract Spider-Man so he could make still make money. So the small crimes are you know he's, Spider-Man isn't looking at the small crimes. Uh, so yeah, he basically uh, creates the Rhino in this episode, 
um, uh, from a hood that Spider usually trounced called Alex O'Hearn. Yes, it's a, it's a horrible horn pun, I know. Um, but uh, yeah, so basically he does that and the rhino gets to it, doesn't waste any time. And he goes straight to the Daily Bugle because he knows Peter Parker's been taking photos of Spider-Man. Now, uh, now the, he gets there and it's 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 really odd because you you never really see the rhino somewhere like because they go to the top floor of the building is where the bugle is so he goes in the elevator and this guy's like where are you going top floor and, and the rhino's like you're not peter parker are you and he's like no i don't know him uh, so it's, it's this absolutely ridiculously huge character in this tiny elevator it's great um he gets up there and jj is obviously jj uh j jonah jameson you know the head of the daily bugle the the editor-in-chief uh, and he goes straight to him and tries to kick him out, and then the rhino threatens him. and And I, I've always, I think J. Jonah Jameson is one of the best uh, characters ever created. To be honest, I think he's he's well rounded. He's funny. He's interesting. He can be villainous. You can play him on so many different levels. It all works. And here you see kind of J. J. It's it's similar to the scene in the Spider Man, the first Spider Man movie, where the Green Goblin breaks in and asks who takes pictures of Spider Man. Uh, and basically, JJ's like, I don't know, I don't know who it is. He sends his stuff in the mail, so and and even Peter's there in the scene in both of those. So I think it's a nice little nod to that that great film, and and it's good to see JJ not being, you know, he could have easily sold Peter out. He could have, you know, gone, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, and he's been like physically manhandled, choked, and threatened, but he doesn't because he's a deep down, very, very, very deep down, he is a good man. And and that's why that's why I love that character so much. Um, another really really interesting thing in Peter Parker's life is the the problems coming up. So he's he wants a date and he is struggling. Much like myself, I can relate. Uh, trying to find dates or weddings and stuff isn't always <laughs> successful for myself. Uh, so I you know that's cool. And he's trying to go out with Betty Brandt, who is a little bit older. So I think she's like 19, I think he's about 15, 16, I think, at this at this point. So it's a little bit weird, and Aunt May gets wind of this, and she's not cool with it. So she comes comes to the Daily Bugle at the same time the rhino turns up, and basically says to Betty Brandt, you're too old, you can't be going out with a 15-year-old boy. Which, I guess, I mean, back in the 60s, that that is what happened in the comics, that is exactly what happened. And... Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 it's, we it's weird. I think in a modern context, it's a bit odd. You know, older people, like much older people, going out with much younger people is a bit weird. I know, I know. In you know, I don't know how it is in America, but in England, that would be a bit odd for an eighteen, nineteen year old to be going out with a fifteen, sixteen year old. I think, um, even if it is, but um, fair enough. You know, Betty Brant is a beautiful, beautiful woman, so I don't blame him. Now, um, at the end, at the end of the episode, um, we get the reveal of the big man of crime. Now, it's probably not who you're thinking, um, which is is kind of a nice bait and switch actually, because there was there's a character that after the whole incident with the rhino, after he's uh, defeated by Spidey, um, Spidey goes back and asks about the big man of crime and asks who this guy is. And he's actually speaking to Frederick Foswell. And in the original comics, Frederick Foswell was the big man of crime. And he wore this big, overly large suit to make sure people didn't recognise him. And uh, he's a pretty cool character. But they don't go too deep with him uh, in this episode. I think it's just kind of a cameo. Um, but uh, I, the, the, star of, the star of this episode really is, it has to be, uh, Clancy Brown, who is 
one of my favourite actors, voice actors, performers. Uh, and he's doing, he's pulling double duty as the Rhino, but he also plays George Stacy, so Captain Stacy and Gwen Stacy's dad. Um, and he's just phenomenal. You couldn't, you couldn't. He's such a talented voice actor. That you just can't tell the difference between uh, him and uh, you know the Rhino, basically the George Stacy character, the Rhino. He's so talented. He can differentiate his voice so much. And you know he's he's. Um, He's Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob, you know, he's Lex Luthor in the, uh, you know, Justice League animated, you know, bat, all the kind of DC animated universe stuff with Bruce Timm and Paul Dini. Um, he's just a phenomenal performer. Um, the next one is Intervention. Now, basically, uh, in the previous episode, Spidey has slept through a fight with the entire Sinister Six. And his black alien suit has took taken him for a test drive, basically. Uh, unfortunately, and he defeats them, you know, while he's sleeping, uh, which is pretty cool. And it's a great that's a great episode in itself. So I definitely watch that, and it's part of this arc as well. Um, but he also sleeps through uh, Aunt May going into the hospital. She has a heart attack during the attack on Spidey, and she has to go into the hospital. But they can't get hold of Peter because he's basically sleeping through everything because he's so exhausted. Um, when the suit takes him out, um, unbeknownst to himself, and uh, he starts kind of he re once he realizes what what's happened, he's all the negative kind of emotions come out and kind of fuel the suit's power, and it kind of and it has more of a controlling effect. And you know, all his friends are there and they want to help. You know, they want to um, see what they can do. And he's like, I need money to pay for the bills for Aunt May, and none of you are going to help me. You can't help me. So you know, buzz off. Basically, is what he says. Um, so. Yeah, and then Flash Thompson of all people, the you know who's quite a quite a vicious, fairly vicious bully in this interpretation. Um, basically, calls him out on it and says, "You've been a dick, basically, to your friends." Um, and he was like, "Okay, now, now I realise I am there's something wrong with me." And he realises it is the suit and goes to the famous church and tries to remove it. Um, and again, what I was saying earlier about these. Like you could rehash the you know the nineties Spider Man cartoon, the Alien costume saga, I think it was called um, three parter in the nineties. You could easily just rehash that and you know defeat defeat the symbiote with sound and stuff. But basically, the symbiote cocoons him. Um, he fails to kill it with sound, cocoons him, and basically starts showing him his past. And you get to see uh, Spidey's origin. Now I know in the movies we see it over and over again, Spidey's origin, and we're sick of it. Um, but like this show, it doesn't like this show and the night show. It doesn't start with the origin, you know. We don't they don't just go. Oh, this is the origin. They get on with it. They crack on with the show and and why it's enjoyable. Um, but they, I like it when they do come back to it because it's it's an important lesson, um, you know, for people and for Spidey to remember and to keep remembering. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really good. And we get uh, we get, basically he gets to talk to Uncle Ben. He basically. Uh, Uncle Ben, the symbiote stirs up Uncle Ben's memory and kind of remembers why he's become Spider-Man and who he is and all the good he's done uh, while the symbiote is trying to, trying to basically convince Spider-Man to cement their bond and then get everything they ever wanted. Um, but these, these memories that he stirred up, Uncle Ben you know, starts basically working against the symbiote because that's who Uncle Ben is. Uh, and it's it's really fun, and they again they take the best elements from the movies, um, you know, other cartoons, other comics, uh, and kind of slam them all together. And it's really it's really nice, and it's mostly in kind of black and white as well, which kind of gives it this uh, kind of Universal Monsters horror feel to it, um, which is really really nice. And and we get also get Ed Asner returns 
uh, and Jim Cummings. Uh, Ed Asner, you'll you'll know is um, try to think what uh, he's Santa in Elf is probably what you've seen him in, and Jim Cummings, who's the immortal Winnie the Pooh for all for for all of time, and in the most recent Christopher Robin movie, uh, they come back. For, they were in the nineties as the Shocker and J Jonah Jameson, so it was really nice to have them back and kind of brought up a few feels for me. So that was really really cool. Um, but yeah, it kind of basically he the memory of all the, his friends and the reasons why Spider Man helps him starve out starve out the symbiote of those negative emotions and just has pure you know love in his heart and stuff. And it is yeah yeah you could say it is a little bit cheesy, but I think they did it in such a way that it's that it's it works. And I was I was happy with that. And I think it's a really enjoyable episode. Um, next one is we're on season two now, so we've got the last two left. And this one introduces basically. The finale of, of Spider-Man has uh, Eddie Brock becoming Venom and Spider-Man defeating Venom. And also, um, he realises his feelings for Gwen Stacy and they share a kiss. Uh, so he's he's coming back off that and he's basically searching for Brock because he's disappeared. He doesn't know where he's gone so he's, and he doesn't trigger his spider sense. So he's a bit worried about um, the possibility of him and Venom coming back. Uh, but he's also figuring out how to navigate his personal relationship with Gwen, what does it mean, does, you know, all that sort of stuff. All the while, he's been confronted by a sorcerer by the name of Mysterio. Uh, so he basically, this version of Mysterio is a little bit, I, I like, I like a, a different spin on our character. So, like Spider-Man 2, Mysterio was presenting to be an alien uh, in the Spider-Man 2 video game. He was pretending to be an alien who was invading um, and used all these kind of special effects and wizardry tricks and what have you, and illusions, um, to convince Spider-Man of that. Um, and uh, I think in the in the in the '90s show, he was basically he was supposed to be, and in the original comic, he was going to be a new hero, and he was framing Spider-Man uh, for various crimes uh, by impersonating him. Um, but yeah, so I like that he basically comes in and he's like. He's, it's kind of like a jokey Doctor Strange. They kind of he speaks loads of Latin and he's very anti-technology. So it's like mm, I'm gonna. He has this kind of voice where it's like oh. I think it's Xander Berkeley who plays him. He's uh he's uh he was in a Terminator Two. I think he was the adopted dad of John Connor uh, in Terminator Two Judgment Day. He's the one who gets the uh, milk carton and the and the spike in the head, um, which is a brilliant moment in that film. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he plays this kind of, you know, he keeps, like, spouting Latin and things like that. Um, and, obviously, as, as the, uh, as the, sh as the uh, episode progresses, basically we find out that, that uh, he's not all that he seems, obviously. Master of illusion and all that. So, yeah, um, and this is a really good episode because... Uh, I always like when Spider-Man has to deal with regular problems, regular issues, you know, paying bills and things like that. Uh, and since the weather's turned cold and he became Spider-Man in the summer, he's dealing with having to deal with freezing cold temperatures and skin-tight suit. And, you know, I've been to many a Comic-Con in a skin-tight suit. And, yeah, there's um, a definite shrinkage going on most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Also, another, another great thing is it's got a Stan Lee cameo. So, uh, you know, anything with a Stan Lee cameo is instantly amazing so wonderful stuff so yeah i'm just uh sorry i'm just my phone's buzzing at me all of a sudden i'm very popular uh which is unusual uh, so last episode is opening night so basically spider-man gets hired to test out the security 
on the vault, which is a supervillain, supermax prison. Um, so he's hired by, I think it's Norman Osborn, George Stacy, and Jonah's there because he wants to see him not escape from the prison <laughs> and basically show him up. Um, meanwhile, at Midtown High, they are about to perform a Midsummer Night's Dream. So most of the, the sporting cast are in the cast of Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, and one is suspiciously missing, and that's Harry Osborn, who is going to be playing Puck, um, that mischievous sprite. However, there is a mischievous sprite that turns up at the prison and lets everybody out, and it's the Green Goblin. Uh, so yeah, so he releases all the prisoners, and Spidey has to deal with that. Unbeknownst to him, the Black Cat is breaking into the prison uh, for an unknown reason. Um, but it, truth, truth be told, uh, basically she is in there to release her dad, who was a famous cat burglar, and that is actually it goes along with her first comic book appearance as well. Uh, is she basically was trying to break her dad out of prison? But yeah, so um, this is a great episode because it, again, it kind of takes us a little bit back to the origin stories. It's another kind of new spin on it, um, which I wasn't. I wasn't against either. It wasn't bad. Um, so, like in Spider-Man Three, when uh, the Sandman turns out to be Uncle Ben's killer, sort of worked, sort of didn't. He was the best character in that film. Um, there's a lot wrong with that film, um, as as I'm sure you've seen with the emo Peter, the dancing Venom. The list goes on. Um, but this, so what? What? What they do is they take an obscure early '60s uh, Spider-Man villain, make him Black Cat's dad, but also make him Uncle Ben's murderer, uh, which basically Black Cat and Spidey have a, a whole spat about this because he's not, you know, Black Cat's asked him to look the other way and he said, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I won't ever look the other way again because, you know, after what this man did. Um, so it's a really, it's, it's action packed, it's fun. I do like, I always like a good um, kind of prison escape episode. Um, and that is basically, you know, one of the best in the show, um, the whole show. Um, it's so much fun. You've got Molten Man in there. You've got the Enforcers. You've got the, the Rhino, um, Mysterio. Well, not Mysterio, but a uh, robot Mysterio. And they're all there and they're all trying to stop Spidey. And, and you know, you've got this other inner, inner um, issue he's having as well. But also, all the while through this, uh, which is really a really cool device, actually, is... We're seeing the performance of a midnight summer's uh, mid midsummer night's dream. Can't can't fucking say things today. Uh, um, midsummer night's dream. So basically, they're quoting lines from it and various other things, uh, and which kind of they kind of links in. They kind of ever so subtly, like you know, ill met by moonlight. You know, they'll see all the he. This is when Spidey sees all the villains and things like that, um, which is really cool and. Me being a bit of a theatre nerd, and my final performance at uni was A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was Oberon, so I do have a bit of a soft spot for it in that regard as well. Um, and it's it's really cool. It's a really good episode. But yeah, that is my top five secret balls stories. So yeah, so that was cool. So moving on to our next segment. Paradise. My music is for Phoenix. 
she can sing it. Anyone else that tries dies. Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay, moving on. Okay, so the reason I put together this podcast was basically... Well, I wanted to do one, first of all. And uh, basically I wanted to kind of do my own thing, do something I'm kind of interested in, the kind of stuff I really... Uh, and I'm very fond of movies, and I'm very fond of comics. Um, mostly, uh, more kind of... Uh, I'm, more of a, I'm more into my genre stuff. So I'm more into kind of cult, you know, um, horror, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, that sort of stuff, crime, crime stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not big on the kind of uh, the Oscar-winning dramas and things like that. It's not really my... I like, I like a niche. There's a niche there. Uh, and I've always really been into kind of cult movies, and I really wanted to kind of put that into Nerdify. We never really got the chance all the time, and I, I don't think that was necessarily what the show was about. So I thought I'd I'd specify in that. And I've never really been one for, if someone tells me that they like something, and they go on and on about it, or, or if something's popular, like Game of Thrones at the moment, I've still not seen a full series of Game of Thrones. I'm, I've seen a couple of episodes, I've enjoyed it, but I'm not really that much of a TV show guy. Um, and the more you tell me how good it is, and the more the world tells me how good it is, and the, the you know the internet, and Facebook, you know, the more of that I have, the less I want to look at it or view it or watch it. You know, um, that's why you know I tend to I tend to read comics or I tend to look at these cult films. So these a lot of these films people will have never heard of, never seen, um, and that's and these comics as well. Um, that's why I wanted to bring that to. A podcast because there's a lot of great stuff out there that people just haven't heard of um yeah be it be it comic books you know be it the death of gene DeWolf in spider-man or be it you know um i don't know uh i'm trying to think of a kind of a cult film i don't know like maybe somebody hasn't seen evil dead 2 or something like that or you know the room things like that and i i always i love them because like they're either really good or really shit or they're so shit that they're actually good. Um, so so I wanted to look at stuff like that. And there's great international movies out there that people have never looked at as well. Um, so I wanted to go... I, I wanted to... Look, and I'm going to look at stuff I haven't seen as well. I don't want to I don't want to go over stuff that everybody's done a podcast on before and things like that. I want to do stuff that nobody's seen, nobody's done. Um, and I've done a fair bit of research into the, the subject itself. So I wanted to start with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, because that's one I've never seen. And again, it's one of those where everyone bangs on about it. Nah, 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 it's so good. Nah, nah, nah. Sweet transvestite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. But I, you know, I just, the more someone tells me, the, the less I... And I felt that if this show is going to be what it's going to be, I felt that it is a cult film, sure. Rocky Horror Picture Show is a cult film, definitely. However... I, I kind of think it's it's so it's so popular it's become quite mainstream it's not really a cult film anymore so I wanted to go for something a little bit different so it's a similar vein but something a bit more of something that people wouldn't have heard of or not experienced or not know about but still in a similar vein so I went with Phantom of the Paradise so this is a basically um I'll, I'll, this is the IMDb synopsis I'll just read this for you a disfigured composer sells his soul for the woman he loves so that he will she will she will perform his music however an evil record tycoon betrays him and steals his music to open his rock palace the paradise so yeah um i'm going to break it down into i think five categories yeah kind of five categories and then we'll give a, i'll give it an overall score i think 
Um, well, we'll say if it's a, we'll say if it's a secret ball or a secret score. Um, so yeah. So first of all, let's look at the story. So yeah, it's I feel I feel a lot with musical films that the the stories aren't particularly strong because um, at the end of the day, it's 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 about the music. So you know, like Blues Brothers, um, you know, Tenacious D, Pick a Destiny. You know, I think a lot of kind of musicals and musical films are not that strong in the story department, in the necessarily in the character department. I think that comes through the music. That's the best bit for me personally. Uh, and yeah, the 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 story is a bit. It's it, it does what it needs to do. It's very much it's it's smashing a lot of kind of gothic horror tales together. So you've got Phantom of the Opera, obviously. Uh, there's a bit of Faust in there, um, and various other kind of uh, kind of horror references with a kind of seventies kitsch uh, music neon feel to it. Uh, it's kind of I think the the best word to describe it is kind of phantasmagorical is probably the best word because um, it is very out there. It's very over the top. It's very um, it's very unusual, but it is still very seventies as well, which is great. Like I love a lot of the films from the seventies, um, and they have that unique feel to them. Like um, again, some of my favorite comics are from the seventies, which is a very a very experimental period in time. I think in regards to uh, being creative. Um, so yeah, basically the main character of uh, Winslow Winslow Leach. I want to say Winslow Leach, who. Um, it's basically a you know kind of piano song piano man. Uh, sing us a song, you're the piano man, um, and he creates a I think it's cantata. I don't know if that's the, the correct musical term they use. I think something like that. And uh, and basically it's a it's a story. So it's kind of like a, a concept album. I think is basically the best way to put it. And it's about uh, Faust. Um, so the 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 idea of a a young man selling his soul for for eternal youth uh, to the devil um, and basically that plays a part in this and a mysterious uh, music producer by the name of Swan um, basically hears the music and goes I'm having that, that'll be good and I'll use that to open my new club The Paradise um, weirdly the, the opening for the film is is done by Rod Serling of The Twilight Zone which it, I mean, his voiceovers are amazing anyway. It just felt a little bit out of place for me tonally. Um, I mean, again, they're still going for this gothic horror stuff, but it is again, it's very campy as well, which is which is great, and I don't mind. But it just it, it was they just speak speak about Swan, the music producer, um, and they kind of big him up a bit more than I don't know. I don't know if he needed that bigging up. I think him being mysterious enough was enough, or. But yeah, it's a great voiceover. Don't get me wrong. I just I don't know if it felt a little bit out of place for this particular the tone of the film. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, here's this, and then uh, and then he steals the music basically. Swan steals Winslow Leach's music, and then a few months later, Winslow's like, "Where's my money? Where's my where's everything?" And they're like, "Don't contact him. Kick him out." So he gets kicked out, um, and then uh, and then he finds his way to Swan's kind of bachelor pad and he's got all these women auditioning for the for the for the song for the music and uh uh Jessica oh, sorry Jessica Harper plays Phoenix who is um a kind of basically a songbird if you will um in this and she is auditioning and he sees her and he's like oh yeah that's that's a brilliant song it's br- oh you sing it so beautifully let's do it together and they kind of harmonize and do all that and uh, they kind of he kind of falls for her straight away, and she's you know she's very nice, and and uh, and then he manages to sneak in, but it's kind of this 
this whole film is basically initially I wasn't that keen on it I was a bit like eh, it's okay but I th- when I realized it was basically a satire about the music industry that's when the whole movie clicked for me I just went that's that's it that's this is this is brilliant because basically it becomes they go to these girls are going to audition but they're not actually auditioning they're actually having to have sex with the music producers which is a very kind of prevalent with the whole me too thing um and uh, you know it's a bit there's, that bit's a bit uncomfortable but it's it's played it's played as uncomfortable it's not played as like oh yeah this is a great thing but then there's like le- soon after that there's kind of this orgy thing going on or this all these girls are like swan swan wants us to do it to each other and it's all kind of like it's kind of a bit of it's a bit of a jump from going from you know sexual assault ish to you know to orgies it's a, bit, a little bit uncomfortable but um but yeah and it turns out the funny thing is that uh winslow snuck in dressed as a woman uh to swan's little soiree with the with the other women and he, he basically says get him out <laughs> get this guy out takes him out police plant drugs on him and get sent to prison they uh remove his teeth for some reason while he's in prison um and give him metal ones I don't know why. I think it's just the design of the Phantom later on. It's you know, some reason for it, I guess, to give metal teeth. Um, I probably would have just maybe come up with something better, maybe knock knock them out and they've had to be replaced with metal or something. I don't know. Um, and then, it, But he uh, he sees that Swan's about to open the paradise with his music and he, he goes a bit apeshit. Uh, manages to escape prison. Um, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a bumbling idiot at this point in the film, um, but he, somehow he manages to s- escape prison. I can't remember how. I think he crawls out of like a Andy Dufresne sewer pipe or something like that, kind of like Shawshank. Um, he uh, he finds. I think he finds where they're producing the record of it and tries to destroy it and goes a bit mad and then gets his head caught in this kind of record press and it kind of scars him and the the club's about to open so the paradise is about to open and he he basically becomes the phantom um and attacks i think he attacks no he sets a bomb that's it. he sets a bomb and tries to kill everybody and they're doing <laughs> another a bit of the satire is most of the songs are kind of satires of um you know um so you've got a Beach Boys like song. You've got a kind of Grease, uh, a Grease kind of Greasers kind of song as well, and and various other bits and pieces. Uh, the music is great. The music is really good. Um, but yeah, and he then he Swan realizes who he is, and he can't speak, so he gives him this like electronic voice box and says, "You're going to rewrite your music." And basically, he he says, "Oh no, only Phoenix can sing it." So so he's like, "I'll make sure Phoenix sings it, but you've got to lock yourself in here and rewrite the whole thing." Because it is like he feels like it's the greatest piece of music, and he gets him to sign a contract, uh, which he doesn't really read. Standard. I mean, who reads the terms and conditions on the on the Apple iPhone? Do they? Nobody does that. <laughs> so he doesn't read it, and he signs it away. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> basically, he he finds out that Phoenix isn't going to sing it. She he's hired he's hired a great character uh, called Beef, who's this kind of effeminate, flamboyant, uh, kind of rock and roll diva. Um, he's played by I think it's Garrett Garrett uh, Garrett McCarthy Garrett. I'm just gonna look it up. Wait for it. Wait for it. Ah, look it up in a bit. No, uh, he's he's amazing in the role. He just uh, he's just silly, really over the top. Um, you know, character, and um, it's a real shame because he does get killed off, but he has to has to die in one of the best cinema deaths I've ever seen. The Phantom, once he's found out that 
that um, Phoenix isn't going to sing any of the, any of the songs that he wrote. He gets he grabs this like neon lightning bolt is the best way I can describe it, and uh, and while Beef's singing the song, he hurls <laughs> the neon lightning bolt at Beef, and it explodes, kills him, electrocutes him, uh, and then you see in you see in the kind of uh, in the in the background of another shot, he, there's just a, a pl- pile of flames, like a flaming pile, <laughs> and then in the next bit's really funny because um, Phoenix comes up and goes, "Is Beef?" And they're like, yeah, he's dead. And I was like, he's clearly dead because there's a flaming body there. It's just fl- like no one's putting it out or anything. It's just this flaming pile of ash. Uh, but yeah, a hurling a neon lightning bolt has got to be one of the best deaths in cinema. Um, it's, it's during like it's during one of the music music um, songs, the music songs. Yeah, that's right, Dan. Music songs. Well, that's that's what we call them in real life. During one of the song beef song, he's like doing this wail, but then obviously he gets the lightning bolt. At, in the back, and he's just he's just doing this like rock and roll like scream like Row! it's proper gla- it's, I guess it's kind of a glam rock before there was kind of glam rock. It's kind of little Alice Cooper and kind of Bowie in there. I think influencing his character and Beast's character. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really really interesting. But yeah, like go back to the story. It's not it's not the strongest, but it 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 works and it is a bit bizarre and it's a bit weird and it's a bit kooky. And I do think maybe they spent a bit too much time on the origin for the Phantom. Um, and I don't think Phoenix doesn't know what's going on until very late on in the film. So she kind of she doesn't have much character because she doesn't know what's going on she just thinks her dreams are coming true she's becoming a star um she's singing you know she's going to have music deals and things like record deals and things like that but she doesn't really get that um she doesn't get that much of a character she is a phenomenal singer i think it's jessica harper plays her and she is a phenomenal singer beef was garrett graham actually um she's a phenomenal singer she's also the star of she's in shock treatment i believe that's that's one i haven't seen either uh, but that's definitely going on the list uh and suspiria which is one again another one i need to watch she's a kind of a, this cult actress keeps coming up uh, pennies from heaven i think as well um but yeah she's a phenomenal singer and does the best kind of the best shoulder dancing you know aggressive violent shoulder dancing i've ever seen in my life and but it's good it's like it's not like it's like it's kind of i don't know i don't know how to describe it maybe just watch the trailer if you're not going to watch the film watch the trailer and see see it for yourself it's quite I think it is very 70s kind of kitsch, very kind of disco, I guess. Um, but I'd never seen any dancing quite like it. Um, but yeah, they're all they're all quite... I think Beef's definitely my favourite character um, out of the lot. The Phantom has this great electronic kind of Darth Vader voice, um, which is kind of, you know, uh, it's, which is pretty cool. And his design's really good. I do like the helmet and the, the metal teeth. You know, the reasons for the metal teeth are a bit weird, but the, the design itself looks good. And I've seen a few, like, cosplays of people doing it as well. And it, it works. It's kind of this kind of big leather get-up and stuff and the big helmet. Um, but, yeah, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about Swan, the, the record producer. So we find out later on that Swan has actually sold his soul to the devil for eternal youth, like Faust. That's probably why he likes the song so much. Um, and he signs and he signs um, the Phantom or Winslow to a similar contract, and he can't get out of the contract. <laughs> so, like I said, this is the satire. I think this is the satire thing of signing contracts of record deals and uh, producers and things. So it's you know the record producer is obviously an evil man, you know. And uh, signing contracts, signing your life away, kind of thing. So it, it makes a lot of sense um, in that regard. The whole Faustian 
um, part of it. Um, but yeah, he's played by Paul Williams. Now, Paul Williams is <laughs> one of the only men who can say that he's written for The Carpenters, Kermit the Frog, and Barbara Streisand. He is one of the the best kind of songwriters in the industry. I, 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 don't, know, I don't think he does that so much anymore, but uh, he, wrote, he wrote Bugsy Malone. Uh, he wrote the Rainbow Connection for the Muppets movie. He wrote he wrote the songs for the he wrote all the music for Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, you name it. He was uh, Little Enos in uh, Smoking the Bandit, another film. It's on the list. Don't worry. Um, so yeah, he's quite and he. But I famously know him as the Penguin from the Batman animated series, and he was amazing in that. I used to love it. I used to love it, and I do recommend uh, the documentary Paul Williams uh, Still Alive, which is basically a fan of Paul Williams basically went, where is he? What's, what's happened to him? What's, uh, and it's basically about his struggle with uh, drugs and alcohol in his life, and it's really interesting. It's really eye-opening, and it just shows kind of how talented that, that Paul Williams was. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I've been listening to... I think there's a song, my favourite song, I don't know what that says about the film, but my favourite song was in the credits, um, but they never used it in the film. It was The Hell of It, and it's just a great a great track, and I've downloaded that recently, and I've been listening to that all day. Um, but again, all the songs, I, I think, uh, minus the Faust song, the Faust song is actually not that great. Um, and it goes up, the, the opening, that opening song of Faust goes on for ages as well. Um, I think they could have cut that down a lot, because it's just, I don't know, it's, it was a bit like... Here's me wanking off now, you know. Here's my song, wanky wanky wank. Um, and it, I don't think it's that strong, right? so I kind of part of me is like, oh, Swan, you want to open your your club with this song? Open it with one of the better ones. Um, Old Souls is really good. That's a really good. Um, that's sung by Jessica Harper, and it. it's a really good love song. So I highly recommend that as well. Um, now you might not know this, but Brian De Palma directed this. This was actually Brian De Palma's first film. So. The director of Carrie, uh, I think it's Scarface, you know, various others. Um, I highly recommend his his film with John Travolta, Blowout, uh, which is about a sound engineer who gets kind of caught up in a, a serial killer's murder spree. Um, it's really fascinating, really, really good film. Uh, my friend Nathan Smith watched it the other day and he loved it. I've been telling him to watch it for years. So definitely, uh, definitely look that one up. Um, but yeah, so he... I, I, it doesn't feel like a Brian De Palma film. I feel, it does feel like he's kind of finding his feet um, a little bit, um, and it is very—it's very kind of standard. It like it doesn't doesn't have the quintessential Brian De Palma feel. That kind of um, he's good with kind of sense of dread and things like that in in films, especially Carrie and, um, and Scarface. That kind of building frustration and anger in in Tony Montana um, that comes to a head at the end of the film. You know he's really good at delivering that. So this one seems really kind of out of his wheelhouse, and I I don't know if I mean he did write the film. Um, I think him and Paul Williams wrote the music and the film kind of together, um, and kind of worked it out that way. And I think they kind of just kind of squeezed the narrative in uh, where they could and made sense of it. But um, but but yeah, it's 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 not a, it's definitely not a bad film. It's just not it doesn't feel like a Brian De Palma film, and I think that that may be. Maybe if it, this was later on in his career, it would have a bit more kind of a sinister nature, a sinister feel to it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it. Overall, the film is 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 good. It's a very good film. I call it a secret score, not a secret bore. Um, yeah, it's I'd I give it like I don't know, 
five, four Spideys out of five. I, I don't, I don't, I've not come up with a decent rating system yet, so we'll go with one of those. Uh, so, so yeah, it's I, I do recommend it. It's fun. The music, but again, I, I, I kind of see the film, but then probably buy the soundtrack. I'd say, um, or buy both. Yeah, please do, please do buy both if you're gonna watch it. Um, unless it's on Netflix or something like that, but I don't think it is at the moment. It may you may be well to purchase it on YouTube or iTunes, things like that. Um, so yeah, highly highly recommend that. Um, again, not perfect film, but um, but I still very much enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it's I yeah 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 yeah. I'm just saying yes now. Um, yes 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 yes. Um, so yeah, so yeah. On the whole, good. It was good. Yeah, so stop blathering and move on to the next segment. Quiz all over me. Quiz all over me is is a dirty title because I'm a dirty, dirty boy. Um, and uh, basically, it's uh, questions from from the audience, from Twitter or Facebook or whoever. However, you get your questions to me, send them, and I'll sort them out and I'll try and answer, try and fit them in as best I can, uh, if I can. Uh, in the podcast. Okay, so let's see what the first one is. So this comes from uh, the Shrieky Retro Nerds, which is, I think, just a Halloween-themed uh, change to their name. They're normally known at their their Twitter handle is at Geeky Retro Nerds, and they're asking my favourite movie and why. Uh, my favourite movie used to be Spider-Man Two because it's amazing, but I kind of went off it after seeing it kind of too many times. It's still very good. I'm not not kind of uh, shitting all over it but it, I kind of I got a bit fed up with it and I actually started thinking about if it wasn't Spider-Man 2 what would it be and I came up with the answer of True Romance which is a Quentin Tarantino written script Tony Scott directed the movie and it has got the best cast Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken, James Gandolfini, the list goes on, Brad Pitt in a small role you know it just it's incredible. Gary Oldman is amazing in it. Um, Samuel Jackson, it just—it's it, incredible. Uh, Bronson Pinchot, yeah, yeah, it's just such an amazing cast, and the story's great. It's about a, a geeky guy who likes cult movies, and comic books, and works in a comic book shop, uh, and he meets the love of his life in the cinema, and and they have this kind of whirlwind kind of love affair. Um, you know, she's she's a sweet, lovely girl, uh, and it turns out that she's she's a prostitute, and his boss paid for her to to sleep with him basically and spend the night with him, and he could be very annoyed, like he could be really pissed off, uh, rightly so, but he's had he's <laughs> he had he's had the best night of his life. He's fallen in love with this with this girl. as uh, Clarence and uh, Alabama. And he just they they get married like the next day, so it's like this whirlwind romance. And then he doesn't want her to be a prostitute anymore. Again, fair enough, I get that. And he goes to see her pimp, played by Gary Oldman, and and basically ends up killing him and accidentally taking a shit ton of cocaine. And that's where the adventure starts. And I don't want to spoil it because it's an amazing movie. I love it. And it speaks to me, obviously. It, you know, it ticks all the boxes for me. I'm a cult film fan. I like comic books. And, you know, uh, and I'm a hopeless romantic because it is a romantic film. It's not an ironic title. It's a, it's a beautiful love story and violent, gruesome. Um, 
but these you love these characters and you everyone everyone everyone's in it you love the actors in it because it's all the greatest actors ever all in this one movie and you know just that that scene with Dennis Hopper and and Christopher Walken say no more say no more so thank you for that shrieky retro nerds so next question this is from one of our biggest one of my biggest supporters and biggest helps with me producing this podcast this is from at Jack at the Jack I can't even speak Jack and the Geek Stalk or at Jack Geekstalk, and they're asking for my favourite... They're asking three questions. Cheeky, you cheeky guys. So they're asking my best Spider-Man comic book storyline, which uh, I would say is Craven's Last Hunt. It is a dark, twisted um, investigation into the mind of a supervillain. Uh, by, it's by J.M. Dematius, who is great, and I've chatted on him on with him on Twitter a couple of times, he's a cool guy and he really gets into the psychology of villains, there's a great Batman story wrote about the Joker called Going Sane and the Joker kills off kills off Batman seemingly and then he's like, right, time to start my normal life and basically has a normal life for a bit, um, but I, I would say Craven, but um, but it's not really that much about Spider-Man, I will say that, But so I'll suggest the Master Planner saga, which is probably the first kind of Spider-Man epic and really kind of nailed you know really nailed that kind of spider-man epic story multi-part storyline um peter gives a uh, aunt may a blood transfusion uh to save a life uh but he doesn't realize that his re- radioactive blood is going to kill her and there's this uh antidote the miraculous antidote um that he has to find um however the master planner this new criminal has stolen it for uh, you know, devious reasons. So he has to go through, has to basically run a gauntlet, an absolute gauntlet. Um, there's a, there's an amazing scene. I won't spoil the whole thing, but there's an amazing scene when he's he's had his kind of final battle, um, but and he's exhausted, he's tired, he's almost drowned, uh, and he's coming up, and there's all these henchmen come at him, and he realizes he's so tired that it's easier to take all the punches and all the and just swing his arms, um, like like a madman. Um, than actually try and fight it properly. Um, it's better to just be hit and save his energy, um, which I thought was kind of heartbreaking, really sad. Um, but it's an amazing story. I can't remember the, the issue numbers. I want to say, like, Amazing Spider-Man 20-something. Um, just look up Master Planner Saga, and that, that'll put you right. Greatest live-action superhero performance. It's mm, a toughie. That is a toughie. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with something out of the left field. I'm going to go Deadpool because I think I, I truly think Ryan Reynolds was born to play that role. Um, and then I'm going also for the next question is also going to be a Ryan Reynolds answer. Worst superhero costume has to be Green Lantern. Just dreadful. The mask was awful. CG was bad. Uh, just just make a suit, man. Just just don't don't CG that stuff. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jack and the Geekstock. Now, one of my favourite podcasts uh, asking us questions here. Us. Just me. Nobody else is in this room. It's just me. Maybe I'm turning into Venom. Venom! <laughs> we are Venom. So, Nerds Chatting are asking... Uh, um, my co- They were asking a comic book question, basically, which is good. I know that stuff. Do Marvel and DC Comics no longer have the best content? Is that now Image Comics? Well, um, I, I do really... I, I love comic books. Um... <laughs> Duh. Um, but I love superhero comics a lot, uh, Marvel and DC. But most of my favourite comics aren't superhero comics, and they're not necessarily by... I, most the two My top two comics are by DC Vertigo. So that's Why the Last Man and Preacher. They're both amazing and got really nothing to do with superheroes, really. 
uh, in any regard. Um, and I do like a lot of the image stuff. Maybe not, I think, because I think image, I think Spawn, I think all, Savage Dragon, I think all those early 90s ones. But I think image now is more like, like Nurse Chatting or a fan of uh, Invincible and Walking Dead, things like that. Um, I, w I think I need to delve into image a bit more to find out, really. Um, in regards to which ones, but I I imagine maybe yeah because superheroes do get a bit stale. You know I I sometimes get bored of DC and Marvel myself. I'm like, oh just give me something different. And you know I do like some of the more independent comics or you know um different you know kind of properties. I've been really enjoying Transformers. Like Transformers from IDW is amazing. I I couldn't recommend that. Uh, more than meets the eye. It's called the comic. I uh, couldn't rec recommend that more than enough. It's wonderful it's got you know lgbt transformers you know transgender transformers you know it's it's brilliant it's just it's so good some of the best kind of love stories and humor i've read in a comic in a long time um thank you nerds chatting that's at nerds chatting nerds chatting on twitter next one another one of my favorite podcasts we have a hulk podcast so that's at we have a hulk pod um so their question is what do you think of the latest suit from spider-man Far From Home that's been revealed. So that is kind of, if you don't know what it looks like, it's kind of this red and black number. Um, and I, lo I love it. I think it's great. Red and black are my two favourite colours, so instant win for me. Uh, it's got, definitely got the kind of uh, Miles Morales look to it, or um, I think I was saying on Twitter that the, there was an original... Alex Ross, who's an amazing artist, he uh, he designed uh, a possible suit for the Spider-Man movie, the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi one, that uh, didn't end up being used. But it was in the video game, a Spider-Man movie video game. Um, and it's really good, and it looks a bit like that as well. So, um, no, I'm really happy with it, and uh, I hope Mysterio looks as good. Next tweet. So, from Spookus, or at the Marco guy. Um, he asks, what's your favourite superhero cartoon? Now, there's some great ones in the 90s, I have to admit. And Spectacular Spider-Man is, is very high on the list. Um, I was a big Batman fan, a big Spider-Man fan in the 90s. And I kind of I kind of dabble in the other ones as well a bit. But I have to say, the initial one I got into, the one that kind of started the whole thing for me, this whole kind of comic book fandom, had to be... Was the X-Men. And, um, you know taught me about you know diversity and um and you know tolerance at a very young age which was very good and kind of and then spider-man taught me about responsibility as well so yeah great loved it and made me start reading comics first comic i ever read was uh, part of the executioner's song which is a really cool uh, uh, x-men crossover so that that led me to my love of comics um you know from that from that basically that cartoon and I love it. It's still good. Still holds up today. I watch it every now and again. Love it. Just couldn't get enough of it. Okay, so the next, thank you for that, uh, Spookus, or at the Marco guy. Um, the next one is from my friend Daniel Ketis, who uh, who was uh, my partner in the Nerdify. He was the head of Nerdify, and I used to uh, be there with him. <laughs> be there. Just be there. I just sat in the corner, quiet. No, I, I was the one mostly talking, probably too much, even now. Um, so DL, that's DL Ketis or at DL Ketis. Uh, it says, who is your least favourite Marvel or DC superhero? Marvel and DC. Mm, Marvel and DC. So Marvel would have to be Thanos' brother, Star Fox, who has the power to emotionally manipulate people. And he's a bit of a Lothario. And it's a bit creepy having, you know, emotion, manipulative emotional powers, much like 
the Purple Man. I think it's you know I think for for a woman like Spider Woman has the same powers. It's not so bad, but for a male for a male who's also like called Eros, isn't it Eros or you know the god of love. Um, I don't really like that idea. Um, you know, in pleasuring people via their brains and weird stuff. And he's just not very good character. He's not got much depth. I know there's been a comic recently where they, I think they're delving into Star Fox's character a bit more. But he's just, he's just always smiley and happy. Nothing ever seems to go bad for him. It's just, he's got this horrible, just constant grin. I'm just like, I just hate you because you just, I just yeah, just don't like him. Uh, DC superhero. Who do I not like? Um. Guardian? I'm not sure. I'm just trying to think who who I really don't like. Is um, yeah, probably one of those early '90s rubbish ones. So like um, I don't know. No, I like him. <laughs> I like Booster Gold. I like Guy Gardner. Uh, who don't I like? I'm sure someone will come to me. But um, I'll have a think. I'll have a think, Dan. Maybe I'll maybe I'll answer that next time. Um, but yeah, probably yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. But yeah, Star Fox. I absolutely hate that. Just just plain hate Star Fox. Um, I probably because I'm a bit more familiar with Marvel, so it's probably harder for me to think about DC characters. Okay, so thank you, Dan. Thank you for that question. Um, so moving on to the next one. That's the this is the twentieth uh, century geek pod. So that's there at at twentieth century geek. That's two zero t h century geek on Twitter. If you had the opportunity to have editorial control of one character for a year, who would it be, and what would you want to do? So. I am a big fan of one of my favourite DC characters, a very unconventional one, is Dead Man, who's basically a, a trapeze artist who gets shot, and a Hindu god resurrects him and gives him the power to possess bodies and tells him to basically right wrongs and, and uh, you know bal- do the karmic balance thing. Um, and he's this a character called Boston Brand. I love him. He's, he's a complete dick. Like he's a, He was a horrible human being while he was alive. Um, so the fact that he's dead kind of is really interesting. Um, and he doesn't, he's not very, again, he's, he's one of these characters, not got very, most characters are very punchy. You know, I think Joss Whedon said that about the first Avengers film. They all kind of just had punchy powers. Um, so yeah, he's, and he can't really punch unless he's in somebody's body. What I would do is kind of, I would, I would take that character, I'd do like a partial, maybe partial reboot, I guess you could call it. So I would kill off uh, Ramakushna, who is the Hindu god, the fictional Hindu god that resurrects Dead Man, Boston Brand, uh, ki- kill her off, and then I would have Dead Man meet up with a detective who can see and hear ghosts. Um, if you've played the get the video game Soul Suspect, um, you kind of have to you're you're a detective who dies, and it's kind of a noirish kind of thing where you solve your own murder, but then you're also helping other ghosts kind of move on to the next plane of existence, you know, uh, or heaven or hell or wherever. You're kind of uh, their unfinished business. You're basically doing that for them. So I would do kind of that with Dead Man, I think, and I would I would have Dead Man like he's not trying to solve his own murder I don't think because I, I think that'd be a good thing as well but I think maybe try try this because it, it kind of I like noir detective stories and I think Dead Man would work in that kind of supernatural detective stories that I mean they're all over the TV now there's so many of those things like Grimm and stuff like that um so yeah it's called uh, the video game is called Soul Suspect if you uh, if you want to have that it's an okay game it's okay um but uh, yeah, so I would do that, and he would be the. It was a bit. It's kind of soul suspects. Also, the film Ghost. <laughs> so uh, you'd have your your whoopee, The detective would be the Whoopi Goldberg character who can hear and sense them. Um, and basically, I would have Dead Man at odds with the detective. The detective wants to solve these these other these ghosts are coming in, and they're trying to. And he wants to make solve other cases, well, normal cases probably. You would think to make a living. Um, but he Boston Brand needs this needs Ramakushna 
I'd say I'd say like Dead Man's withering away or something because Ramakushan's not there, so he's getting more and more kind of corpse-like and emaciated and stuff. Like he's not as kind of superheroic as he usually looks, um, and he's forcing this detective to. I'd probably make it a detective that already exists in the in the DC pantheon, maybe like Doctor Thirteen or something like that. Um, and I would basically have them solve other people, other ghosts, you know, unfinished business, all the while trying to solve who killed this Hindu god and how did they kill a Hindu god and what happened. Um, but yeah, I'd probably do that or at least at least start that series, give it a good kind of head start and kind of let, let that story continue on if it, if it kept going. Um, so thank you very much to the 20th Century Geek Pod for that. So next one is Film Me Up 2 Reviews. So that's at Film Me Up 2. Uh, and they've asked, uh, once I've asked a couple of times... So, surprisingly good or bad movies of the year so far. I really like Venom, guys. Sorry. Uh, I can see the flaws in it. Uh, I can see its problems. Uh, but I, I was entertained. I was laughing all the way through. It was fun. Um, you know, had elements. He looked like Venom. He acted like Venom. You know, there's, there's a few there's a few odd choices. and You know, but, it, it, you know, I think they did a good job excommunicating Spider-Man from it and not making it dull or uninteresting. Um, I, I think the performances are very strong. Uh, Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams, not so much everybody else, but those they really took took me through that film and I enjoyed it. I know a lot of people won't agree with me. Dozens, I'm sure. So uh, this next question... <laughs> we are Venom. Uh, this next question is uh, from Dan Tween, or uh, Dan Burden. Uh, at Dan Burden 1138. Sorry, that's at Dan Burden 1138. So he's he's asking multiple questions as well. So does pineapple belong in pizza? Short answer, no. Who has been the best Batman and would be your ideal casting? Uh, best Batman, Michael Keaton. Uh, ideal casting, John Hamm. Pick one comic book that's never been a- adapted into a movie. Samurais versus Dinosaurs. It's in the title. It's That's all you need to know. Um, I would love to see that because that's that kind of marries the two things I like. Sounds like a cult film, and you know, and it could be fun. Could be fun. Comic book. Okay, next question. I am J J A C C S. I am J A C S. Regular irregular. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> so J A C S is asking. That's at J I M J A C S musings. Um, is the Twitter handle, and it says if the MCU set to was set to evolve in phase th- post phase three, uh, as predicted, who would be your your actor picks for a reincarnated Fantastic Four and X Men? So I'm not going to go into the X Men because that would just take too long, and I'd want to name absolutely everybody. But my Fantastic Four would be Michael Sheen as Mister Fantastic Reed Richards, Ron Perlman as Ben Grimm. Um, the thing. Emily Blunt as the Invisible Woman, Sue Storm or Susan Richards, and Stephen Yun of Walking Dead fame as the Human Torch. So I, obviously, uh, I would go the with Emily Blunt and Stephen Young, their brothers. So I'd have the um, like they did in the Fan Full Stick, which was bloody awful. Um, I would have them be uh, Stephen Young be adopted or Emily Blunt be adopted. Either way. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, I think Ron Perlman would be great if, if it was a suit or if it was CGI or a bit both. And I think Michael Sheen is old enough uh, to play Reed Richards, like a decent age, um, not too old. Um, and I think I think he would make. A, I think he's very. Intel- it's, it would seem very intelligent, very verbose. Uh, yeah, I think I think that would be pretty perfect. Fantastic Four for me. Okay, so next bit um, is basically next question. I mean, what am I on about? Losing the plot here. <laughs> Daniel Reeves uh, at Cornish Sun seventy three. If you could travel, if you could go back uh, through time and stop one superhero or villain being created, who would it be and why? I've been reading the Joe Kelly run on Daredevil, which is actually pretty good. Um, but I would 
uh, he there's a villain. No, sorry, it's not Joe Kelly. I, I tell a like Scott Lobdell. Um, on the at the end of the first volume of Daredevil, they had a, a storyline, and uh, and he introduced a character called Le Concierge, who is basically a French supervillain who looks like uh the tarantula, uh, another Spider-Man villain. Um, and it's not like like you. Know, everyone knows what a concierge is, but it's not funny. It's not like they don't make a joke about it. it just it's just called the concierge. It's like it's not humorous. It's just like I'm a villain called the concierge, and it was just rubbish. I just that's the one that comes to mind at the moment because it was just they didn't do anything with it. Like if he was dressed like a waiter or like a bellboy or fucking something, but they didn't. They didn't do that. Another one of my favourite Twitterers or the of the Twitterati. Um it's at Geeky Nerd. At one no sorry. Geeky Nerd. I need to separate these. Geeky Nerd. At one Geeky Nerd. And she asks Halloween or Christmas and why. So uh, I'm basically gonna go for Christmas because I love Halloween, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I often don't really do anything for it. It's probably my fault for not organising or doing things. But I always make room for Christmas. I always organise to go and see my family. I do love my family. And I don't see them as much as I probably should. Um, so, yeah. So, I would say I would say definitely this um, as... Uh, definitely Christmas, yeah. I'm looking forward to Christmas. And uh, don't worry, I've got, I've got something for you So in regards to that coming up. Um, so, yeah. That's all the questions. So, thank you very much uh, for the first... That was the first edition of quiz all over me spider dan and his amazing friends okay so this is basically uh, the segment where i promote uh, my friends businesses or what my friends are up to or events or uh, shows, anything like that. So if you want to me to promote, or so I can send you the snippet as well. I don't have to send you the whole podcast. I can send you the snippet of me promoting your things. Um, please do, um, and I'll do that for you. Right now, I'm just going to thank uh, my inspirations for me doing this podcast. So first of all, uh, Kevin Smith, great podcaster, filmmaker. Love him so much. So much, so funny. All the free funny that I get, he's, he's brilliant. Um, Ralph Garman, who's a regular partner with Kevin Smith. Chris Jericho, the wrestler, turned rocker, turned podcaster. Um, and the guys from Nerdify, so Josh and Dan. Um, I really enjoyed all the podcasts that we do. And, you know, I'm sad we don't do it, but I understand why we don't do it anymore. Uh, and but I'm, I'll definitely have you guys on as guests. Uh, who else? Uh, who else? So uh, recently I've been doing uh, podcasts with uh, my friend Dan and Howard and the podcast called And Now the, S- the Podcast Starts, which is reference to And Now the Screaming Starts, which is an amicus horror film. They're very much into hammer, and hammer horror and things like that. So they're going to be sending out kind of uh, new editions on YouTube, I believe. Um, I think they're called Ambidextrous Limited or Productions or something. Um so they they basically uh, we've been talking about the Halloween franchise. So you can hear me wax lyrical on uh, Michael Myers or the Shape, however however you want to uh, call him. But yeah, uh, who else? Um, guys, you've been so good on Twitter supporting me and everybody who's who's like me on Facebook as well. Um, uh, Jack and the Geek Stalk. We have a Hulk uh, nerds chatting. Uh, skip to the end. Uh, the list go. The list goes on. You know, uh, all the guys that have all the guys that have tweeted me with questions as well. Um, you know, I, I, so many, I, I, I'm probably, I'm running, my brain's been a bit crap today, so I, I do apologize, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if everybody who's on Twitter, everybody who follows me, everybody there, if I've not mentioned you, I do apologize. Um, they're just the names that are coming to my head right now. Um, but yeah, uh, so 
yeah, it's been fun. This has been great. I I I think I was a bit a bit tentative to begin with, yeah. But I'm I feel like I'm finding my feet here, um, and I'll, I think I'll grow in confidence, and I think this will be turning into a really really good show. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this week. Next week, I'm going to start my season. I'm going to do try and do weekly podcasts now for the next two months. Uh, now Christmas is coming up, and we always seem to celebrate it November, which boggles the mind. Um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a bar humbug kind of guy, but I kind of think yeah, wait till December at least. But since everybody else is celebrating it, I'm going to celebrate it my own way. So I don't tend to, I don't mind Christmas movies, but I don't tend to like they don't get my juices flowing like regular movies do. You know, they're a bit it can be a bit schmaltzy and a bit you know like ho hum. You know, I, I, get, I get people that like the kind of feeling and the warmth and the, the family vibe. And I, I like that as well. But it's, I don't like it kind of forced down my, force fed me. And it's always the same damn movies on every year. You know, it's always Home Alone. It's always, you know, things like that. And I'm just like, oh, and, and you know, like Die Hard is great because it's, it's an alternative Christmas movie. And that's exactly what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to do... Um, alternative movies so these are movies that are set around Christmas or have a Christmas vibe to them or uh, you know they could be New Year's movies they could be you know they're unconventional non-traditional alternative Christmas movies and I'm going to call this hashtag my alter alternativity story so that's hashtag alternativity story um, I've sent out I sent out Twitter I sent out to the Twitterati a choice of of two films with two spooky Santas in uh, that I'm going to review two um, two foreign language movies. Uh, I think one's from Sweden. I think one was Dutch, I believe. Um, so possibly I'd, I'm I'm not sure. I'd have to double check. But uh, one of them was was Sint or Saint, and the other one was Rare Exports. And Rare Exports won. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to watching that and starting this whole new season. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you again for joining me today. It's been great. Um, probably have to edit this down a little bit. I think I've talked over my allotted time, uh, so I might have to cut a segment. But um, but yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much for joining me today. It's been it's been a great one. And uh, remember to join the Pratalian hashtag join the Pratalian online um, because this is Prattle World. Okay, I'll see you next week. Bye bye, guys. Good for nothing, bed in bed Nobody likes you and you're better off dead Goodbye, goodbye We've all come to say goodbye, 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 goodbye.